You're listening to the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. If you'd like to learn more or check out our resources, please visit nifw.org. Okay, I think we'll get started. First of all, we're so glad you're here. And there will be a little plate clinking and passing as we go, and that's okay. That's just part of, I think, being in a, at a community feast. And I'm super excited about today's topic. I think my guest is not feeling super excited right now. Um, a a pre-vulnerability hangover, we'll call it. Um, But Martin's story to me is just um, a story of incredible faithfulness and a story of to have a call, we have to have a caller and we have to be listening to our caller and drawing closer to our caller. And Martin's story is radical. So it's kind of like the Rick Chung ruler God may not be calling everybody to give up exactly what Martin is doing or changing, Um, but Martin is showing us what it looks like to be obedient to your caller and what you might learn from it, which is just truly amazing. Um, So it's interesting, the reason Martin's story came on the radar is really kind of part of the learning here today which is somebody approached me after one of these luncheons and said, you only do the shiny penny stories. You only do the the stories of the people living faithfully and they're in what the Western world would say looks like prosperity. He's like, you ought to do some different kind of stories. You ought to do some failures. And... um, I don't think Martin's story is a failure at all, (laughs) especially after spending time learning about it. Um, But the Western world can see it as a failure. And so I think that's part of the journey today. Um, If you all, how many of you have never been to one of our events? Just curious. Okay, great to have you. We're the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work, and what we do is try to help people figure out what faith has to do with their day-to-day vocation. So whether you work in a bank, whether you work in a school, or whether you are a pastor, um, how does your faith intersect that? And that all good work matters to God, that the job at the bank is just as important as the job of the pastor, and to equip people to live that out. So that's a little bit about what we do. Um, These Lunch and Learns are, this year we've been interviewing folks. They're called the Faithfully Working Luncheons. How are you faithfully working where God has called you? And so Martin is just, um, he became a, a friend, I guess, about five years ago, four or five years ago, just as we were an idea, not yet launched, Martin came to me and said, I want to I talk to you. And at the time, he worked for Jobs for Life. And Jobs for Life was an organization dedicated to helping people whose society might see as unemployable find employment. So for whatever reason, whether it was generational poverty, maybe it was something on their record, getting a job was, and keeping a job was very hard for them. Martin came to me and said, you know, I understand about this ministry you all are about to launch, 
and I really need to talk to you about it. And Martin has for four years been a guidepost for me about how do we not let this ministry be just about the shiny stories, just about um, uh, affluent white leaders, and are they feeling good about how they're working? And so he's been um, a teacher to me, an introducer to me, a connector to me. He's trusted me. He's introduced me to his friends. Um, so I'm super grateful for how Martin has impacted NIFW. But watching his story unfold has been just a personal honor as well. Um, Martin grew up in Canada. Martin's um, very well educated. He worked in the business space and healthcare for a long time. Um, his journey to the U.S. was for love. Um, he fell in love with a woman, married her, moved down here. Um, and his first job in Tennessee was through this ministry, Jobs for Life, where he became um, the head of this whole part of the country, of this nonprofit, um, after having a, a thriving business career. And I'll let him tell the story, but in some of his growth and in some of Jobs for Life's um, mission adjustments, about a year and a half ago, he decided that um, he needed to do something differently. And this is the tale that we're going to start today. Um, today is not prescriptive. So this is not a call to say everybody do what Martin's done or you're not a good worker for God. Today's, um, today's message is about listening to your caller and learning how Martin has listened to his and the um, increased learning and freedom he's gotten from that. So thank you, Martin. I'm gonna turn it over to you and let's start with, um, for those who don't know you, give us a little more background, um, who you are and what's been the context of your change. Wow, well, thank you for that introduction, Missy. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm so, I, I, about three weeks ago, I was grateful for this opportunity. And when I finish, I'll be glad for it. But right now, <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's a hard place to be when I think in order to be authentic to answer the answers I'm about to give, I, I have to publicly put my hypocrisy on display. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and we'll get into what I mean by that. I'm sure it will be evident. But to, to answer your question, yes, I was involved in a ministry called Jobs for Life, which still exists and, and is doing well. Um, but that opportunity gave me the best education I'd ever had in my life because, because my world was very, even though I grew up in Canada, was very white, middle-class, American, normative, all of those uh, adjectives. Um, but through Jobs for Life, I got introduced and invited into marginalized communities. And through that, I got an incredible education that um, I was getting paid to get. <laughs> But the people that were teaching me, it had cost them so much to get the wisdom that they were sharing with me. And that changed the lenses that I looked at everything through. 
And that change in perspective, in my, in my world, made me a really difficult person to be around. Because there were challenges I was, um, that became enlightened to me that I wanted fixed and that I wanted changed and I wanted everybody else to do it, but what it required was something I wasn't willing to do. So that knowledge made me dangerous and a jerk <laughs> to other people because my rationale was, well, if I can get somebody else to do what they're supposed to do, I'll have done what I'm supposed to do with not doing it myself, if that makes sense. So, the concept of teaching someone to fish is better than giving somebody a fish for a day. The information or the wisdom or the reality that I became aware of was yes, but there's also other issues. There's um, um, who owns the pond and how far away is the pond and is there a fence around the pond and what are the restrictions on fishing licenses and on and on and on. And it's those systemic issues that I became aware of. Um, the other analogy is I want to save babies that I see floating down a river and jump in and save them. But I don't want to ask the question, why are babies ending up in the river? So there's this downstream stuff that's an immediate rescue, and then there's upstream realities that are causing the problems. And I think as I dug deeper into causal things, the task of dealing with or changing those things became bigger. And as those things became bigger, like issues of justice and love and equity are not things that people wake up in the morning having accomplished. And because I wanted to accomplish and change and fix those things, and because I believed that if people would just listen to what I was saying, that that would happen, I became, I was just taken on a spiral down when I realized the futility of what I was trying to do and how I was trying to do it. And in that space, I would manipulate people, I would shame people, I would send people on guilt trips, and I would exploit people to say things that I wasn't willing to say. And a lot of these people I'm talking about were my friends, be it in a marginalized community or be it in the dominant culture. And so in that space, I knew I was not being authentic, I didn't have integrity, and I needed to get out. So that's the introduction. <laughs> so um, you've ended up taking a position as a janitor and over Christmas, you also took on a second job of hanging Christmas lights at commercial and residential spaces with the Christmas Light Company, and your favorite part, taking them back down. 
Um, <laughs> what is it? Tell us how the change process, what did that look like as you were, you know, you left Jobs for Life and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so you kind of swam around in that for a while. Yeah, so that change process looks like, and, I, and I'm speaking from the with 2020 vision of looking back I didn't know a lot of this stuff back then I just knew that I, there was something wrong with what I was saying and what I was doing and and I took a, a, a leave of absence for two months to try to figure everything out and the first week of that leave of absence I went to the monastery Gethsemane monastery in Kentucky to spend a week-long silent retreat and I just wanted to go and figure things out. I had a stack of books I could read and sift through and get my answers and come back and, and, and be good to go. And the first day, there's an opportunity to spend 30 minutes with Father Carlos, who's over the retreatants that are there. And if you want any guidance or direction, you could go see him. <clears throat> I didn't want any guidance or direction, but I found myself walking up and down the hall past his office, and I walked past five times, and I didn't knock on the door, even though he was in there alone, and there was a window, and I could see him sitting there, but it looked like he was doing something, so it's like, oh, I don't want to interrupt, I don't want to. Finally, I knocked on the door, and he opened it, he said, if you're busy, I can come back. He's like, no, no, I was just watching YouTube which was hilarious. Uh, but I sat down, I quickly told him my story in 10 minutes, and he responded like this. He said, Martin, the way I, what I understand to be true is you took a job and tried fixing poor people and that didn't work. And then you tried fixing your city and that didn't work. And then you tried fixing the church and that didn't work. And then you tried fixing your employer, and that didn't work. Are you here to try to fix you? And I said, yeah. He's like, you got to stop trying to fix things. Because what that says to me is, you got some control issues. So those books that you have in your room, and I didn't tell him that, that you're going to read to fix yourself. Put them in your car and leave them there if you can really leave them there. If you don't think you can, bring them to me and I'll hold them. Keep your Bible and just stop and see what God has for you. And, and I think those words of wisdom are part of the journey that I've been on um, for the last year prior to starting to dabble into things. I just stopped. And when I came back, all the things I was involved in, I just stopped. And it was clear to me early on that, but I can't not go. I'm Martin. I, I, I'm making this stuff happen. I'm the, I'm the linchpin. I'm the key. And if I'm not there, it'll all stop. And when I realized that, that was really hard because I knew who I had created myself to be. 
And again, that was very dangerous. And in that place, in my narrative of anxious accumulation and artificial power, I would do violence to other people. And I didn't see it until I could see it. So, um, I continue to work in that space and trying to develop a, a contemplative life as well as a public life and, and contemplation being anything that helps me break through my illusions to touch reality. And a lot of that is addressing my own ego stuff. It's who do I want people to think I am and who do I tell myself I am? What are my motivations? And that was devastating. I, I think, and the problem was, in my egoic reality, although I was a Christian, Jesus was boring to me. And I was the rich young ruler who walked away because I was wanting to, I wanted to hold on to my stuff. It's not about upward mobility or downward mobility or regression or advancement. It's what are you holding on to? And if you let go, God's going to take you somewhere. And it just is. It just is what it is. And it's all the layers of what that means that we allow society to put on us that feels like failure or feels like success. All that's real is, what am I holding on to really tightly that's not God? And am I willing to let go? And if I am willing to let go, can I be faithful to what that looks like? So, how'd you actually become a janitor? So, in part of the process of figuring out who I am, it's looking back on what are the things I love to do? What are your favorite jobs you've ever had? And I've, I've worked since I was 12, and one of my favorite jobs was being a janitor at a hospital through my high school and college years. And, and I found out that one of the reasons that I love doing that is it resolved in a shift. It's clean that floor, clean that whatever. It's messy, I could clean it and I was done. I could walk away. It was finished. The places where I found myself, where it got dangerous for me, is when it didn't resolve. Things like justice and love and equity, these ongoing relational things that that you can't force it. You can't finish it. It's never done. But I want it to be done. And that's really hard if you have the wrong perspective, if God is not in his place and, and me in mine. So it kind of fed my control issues to do something that I could control the beginning, the middle, and the end. And what can I do? What am I open to doing that I can finish, that will resolve, that I can complete and walk away from? And when I go home, I don't have to rage behind the doors at how things are. 
I can just come in and be myself because my job's done. And so, the other part of, of my learning was whatever was has to die. You've got to stay in a space of, of barrenness or wilderness and then something new will come. Are you open to the things that are new that are coming? Be open to those things, but don't short circuit your time in the wilderness. So kind of an Exodus narrative. And, and, and the manna would come in different forms, and am I aware of it? Not to highly biblicize or spiritualize this, but I believe that to be true. And I was in Costco, ran into a friend of mine, and he owned a cleaning company. And, and we got caught up and got to, okay, how are things going? Things are hard, he said. I'm having a really hard time finding employees. And I've got, a, I've got a particular job that I'm doing because I can't find anybody to do it. I was like, I got this smile on my face. I said, I think I can help you out with that. So we worked out some details. That was on a Monday afternoon. The next day at 5.30, I met him at the workplace and got trained. And on the Friday, I, I drove to that job. So all in that week, that all changed. And I was grinning from ear to ear. Because, and let, let me just say this before we, we jump into the next part. This is not a riches to rags story. Um, my, my wife works really hard. <laughs> and she's, she's able to um, cover a lot of our bills. We live in excess. And moderation in the heart of excess is not sacrifice. And we're okay, and we're good, but in this season of, of stepping away from work, um, it's, it showed me how much I really have and how far I have to go before I have to sacrifice or change anything. And that's a gift, and that's frustrating um, in the sense that, gosh, I'm privileged and entitled. Um, but I did have people in my life and friends who would, given my circumstances, provide opportunities. And, and uh, you know, we're going to go for lunch, we we'll meet every month, and you're not going to pay. Even if you can, you're just not going to pay. Will you come and teach my Sunday school class, my young adults on career path choices, and walking out and have them slip a check in my pocket? Things like that were happening because we still had bills and, and, and savings were deteriorating. Um, so one of the, I say all that to say I was happy to be going to work because I knew I was contributing to some of the need, and I was very happy. Um, and so, um, some people would say that that's kind of, that like walking, walking away from the, the messy middle of work and just saying, okay, I'm going to do this nice job where I can start and finish and walk away, that that's kind of a cop-out. That that was kind of a cop-out of um, using some of your gifts you've been given and to say, oh, I didn't like carrying the stress home with me. 
this is nice and neat. I mean, I'll be honest, I dream of being a barista sometimes because I think I could talk to people, make coffee, and then leave, and it, the stress wouldn't carry home with me. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, there's, when I tell people what I'm doing, there's, there's three typical responses. It's, it's, that's great, and that's typical, typically coming from people who have followed that same path. They may be in a high place or a low place looking at things from a Western perspective, but they had learned how soul sifting it is to change, whatever that change is. Then there's people who would say, oh my gosh, you are so lucky the people who are in the messy places doing jobs and roles that don't resolve and say what I wouldn't give to just step out for a second and be able to catch my breath because I'm caught up in this thing that never stops, right? It's the Exodus 5 narrative of Pharaoh. It's make more bricks and do it without straw. Go get your own. More, 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 more. Um, and then there's the people who, who what, what you said, um, you're not being faithful to your giftings. You're not stewarding who you are well. And, and I get that, and there's, there's a piece of that, um, A, that is who I was when I was that isn't who I am. And I've come to realize that, and I can't authentically, with integrity, continue to do that. The other piece that I'm convicted by is, if I actually have less, I have to do less. If I have less, I don't have to give it away. And when enough for me is never enough, it's just a little bit more, If I'm going backwards, then I can hold on to more, if that makes sense. And that's the level of depravity <laughs> that I, I, I came to know to be true and how caught up I was in, I got mine, you go and get yours. And so... So you're saying that having less showed you more clearly... Not that you should be holding on to it, but that that was your human spirit, even though that wasn't what God would want you to be doing. Is that what you're saying? Yes, and if, if, if what I needed was closer to my, what I needed, actually needed, versus what I wanted, I could keep everything that I needed. You were rationalizing an yes. ungiving spirit. Yeah. Yes, yes. So... Um, if I could, I learned a whole lot from my first day on the job. And when I was there by myself and walked out of the custodian closet with my vacuum pack on my back, because the main thing was just vacuuming, I was overcome with this incredible sense of shame because there were people in that office, people who were professionals and they looked at me, and I wanted to scream, wait, 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 this is not who I am. This is not who I am, I'm more, I could be sitting where you are. 
And I thought, what in the world? I've been talking for seven years about the dignity of work and all work has value and you can't judge people by what they do or how much they get paid. And I knew it wasn't true in what I believed in that moment. I did not want to be the man who I was working with because I was better than that. And then my friend who I was working with, who was a graduate of the Jobs for Life program seven years earlier, I'm now working with him, and he sees me, and he goes, man, weren't you something? Weren't you over this thing? What are you doing here? It's blowing my mind. We're not the same. And I'm thinking, we're not the same. And that's when... I started to understand some of my ego issues. And then, that was Friday. On Saturday, when I realized all of this, I also realized, Matt, my boss, and I are friends, and he ran into me, and I'm helping him out, and we negotiated a rate to get, I was getting paid more than the average cleaning person gets. And when I realized if I think I'm different than James, it's okay for me to get paid more than James, even because I know Matt and we're friends. And while I'll rage against cronyism to everybody else, I'll benefit from it because I got bills to pay and now I can pay them. And I can look past the fact that I'm getting paid more in order to pay my bills. But I couldn't sleep all weekend, and I talked to a pastor friend on Sunday, and I said, here's what's going on. And he said, I think you know what you need to do. And I called Matt on Monday morning, and I said, Matt, I can't do it. I can't, I can't take more money than James because we're doing the same thing. And, and I don't care what you have to do, take it from me and give it to him and even us out. Or, or if you don't want him to get more or him to know he's getting more, then, then put it in a, in a fund and give it to him over Christmas. And he said, Martin, Martin, you and James get paid the same. <laughs> and in that moment, what came to my head was, Matt, do you know who I am? You're supposed to pay me more. And the second thought was, and I was just about to school you on how mean you were in running your business to be unfair. And all of those things were like, oh, Martin, what is in your heart that that's the way you think? trying to think of what the other thing was that uh, um, what I loved about that story when you told it to me earlier um, is that James was actually teaching you how to clean better oh um, absolutely <laughs> like you were not a good cleaner <laughs> I was a good cleaner James I wasn't was a, a great cleaner <laughs> it's like Martin you got that clean let me show you how to put a shine on it 
So, yeah. Yeah. So um, our Gotham group, which is our year-long intensive, met this morning, and I was sharing with some of them, like, this story has wrecked me <laughs> and, like, opened up my hypocrisy to me. Um, tell me how God has met you on this journey. Oh, gosh, yeah. I think, I, I think it's in all of those ways that I seek to hold on really tightly to comfort and control and being right. And I want people speaking into my life that say the exact same things that I say. And I want confirmation bias over and over and over again. And I want and and those are the things that I know I want. Those are my idols. And I think what, what God is saying, has been saying, is what are you willing to let go of? And what might it look like if you let go of those things? And, and I, don't, I don't know. I would never do this if comfort and control were incomplete control of my life I would I would have a a, a script I would say Missy we're not going to do Q&A I'm going to talk and I'll finish the talk three weeks ago and it would be awesome and have all these little plucky sayings and it would be delivered very clearly and very precisely with dramatic pauses and everything but it wouldn't be really me it would be the me that I want you to think I am. And so, to be faithful to the discomfort, to step into and really show up in my life authentically is really hard because I might not be bringing anything to the table. I might not be fixing anything. And that's where God is saying to me, good, because that's all my stuff. It's not your stuff. You just show up. So my friendships, and I questioned the whole time when I was working. It's like, oh, is this really who I am? Are these really my friends? Or is it in order to allow me to be effective in my job to get the numbers I need to get to look like I'm doing something? Or are my relationships and my friendships real? And it's just, we're just friends. And we're learning from one another. And we're, we're showing up together and we don't have an agenda, but things are happening. And so it's, it's, it's it, for those of you that are from the Seinfeld generation, it's, it's how can your life be about nothing such that it's about everything, but everything is just your life and as you show up in it and trusting God in that. And yes, there are things to change and things to achieve and things to fix but they're not our fixes it's when we're faithful that God shows a different way and I think I think a lot of the leaders in 
in the marginalized communities, um, several of which are, are here today, and I'm so glad you are as my friends, I learned that what they have learned over time, and really anybody who's in an area of life that that God reveals something to you, there's people that have been doing this a lot longer than you, and they've been faithful to the call to just show up in it, and it might not have changed, but it has, and it has in them, and when I need to draw on the wisdom of God or the faithfulness of God, I want to be around them, because what I want to be is faithful, not effective. And so what would you say um, if someone was kind of cynical and said, okay, you're taking a little season as a janitor, but you can make a phone call and be out of that job with your social capital on Monday if you wanted, whereas your colleagues don't necessarily have that kind of access. How do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I learned, I, I learned that that mechanism that is available to me is called white people in that shit. And the number of people who in high places, again, from in our culture, called me and said, what do you need? What can I do? What do you want to do now? I can make it happen. And it's trusting the wilderness and valuing it. Something is going to happen. I don't, I don't know what that is. But I know that whatever, so I spent some time with Kenny Benj, who's given me some spiritual direction in this process, and he gave me a book, it's called Transitions by William Bridges, which is hilarious. And it helped me understand the difference between change and transition, and change is circumstantial, transition is internal. And I knew I could get another job, but the same messed up Martin would be in it. The Martin who doesn't want to face who he really is would be in it, and I'm going to be over that job in about two weeks. What I want and what I desire and what I think God desires of me is closeness to him, which is trust in him, and a clear understanding of who I am so that I can no longer skim across the surface of the life I think I'm living with the control I believe I have. And with that understanding, I can enter into something else or whether it's cleaning, whether it's decorating, whether it's having conversations, whether it's advising, from a perspective of I'm not in this for me I'm in this I'm in this for who I believe Jesus is calling me to be and that's a whole lot of letting go and I feel like I'm still in that wilderness um, and, 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 and the process continues and I'm, I'm trusting that 
So we've got people in here that are university professors, church planters, real estate executives, um, working for the attorney general, nonprofit leaders, um, sales executives, um, people running venture capital funds, students. I'm just kind of looking out at just a few of you that I know. Um, what advice, you know, I don't, I don't think the message is you should all be janitors tomorrow. What, what, what would you say to everyone here, no matter what their industry or role? Yeah, I think there's all different seasons of life, but I, I, I feel there's that continuous call or invitation <clears throat> To, to integrity, which is what are your real motivations for everything that you do? And, and, and again, that boring Jesus that I had packaged up over here left me alone. I think the real Jesus messes us up and is very disruptive. And if wherever you are, people don't think you're a little bit peculiar, I d again, I, d I don't want to cast judgment or anything. Um, I think when we do that hard work of really sifting our motivations, people find us to be a little bit different and a little bit peculiar. And people want to be around people like that. And who's, and there's, there's some danger to that. There's risk to that. It might mean in order for me to be faithful to what I believe God's calling me to, I can't stand by that decision. I am questioning the leadership. I do want to do something different. I have to leave because of that. And that could go one way and it could go another way. <laughs> I, I don't know. And other people are in different places uh, and, and have huge responsibilities. And they can't risk certain things. I, I, I hope that, that that makes sense to folks. But it's just doing that internal work. Is Am I skimming across the surface? Or am I going deep? What am I holding on to so tightly? And what does it look like to let go? What does it look like to take that risk? And the way that things are, I don't think are the way things are supposed to be. I don't know that the answer exists out there. But what I can't do is love someone else's hate because it allows me to not look at my own. I can't look at someone else's risk without being willing to risk something myself that costs me something that's in that hand that's clenched. And I think that's what we're called to. And the reality is I am freer and more joy-filled, and my wife would tell you, you know, two weeks after I left that job, she said, I feel like Martin's back. 
I feel like you're different than you were. And I think if, if, if fruits of the spirit are evident in your life, you're probably doing all of this stuff. If it's not, maybe there's something to look at. So I'm gonna hand it over to you all in a minute for questions, but before I do, I was um, driving down the road a couple of days ago, and I was thinking in my head, um, how's this gonna go? What kind of questions might we wanna discuss? And literally it just like slapped me in the face, um, the role of a janitor, is to clean up everybody's mess clean up the mess of people who don't even know they're making mess, to vacuum the crumbs that somebody didn't even know they left and didn't notice that they were cleaned up overnight, and it just washed over me. Jesus came to clean up everybody's mess, mess they didn't even know they left, that we left, crumbs we didn't even know we were leaving under our desk. And I was just kind of overtaken with... Um, I couldn't quite come up with another job description that was as symbolic as cleaning up other people's mess as to what Jesus came to do. So, it, and the radical upside downness is that, you know, we have janitor in our own minds at, towards the bottom of the vocational totem pole in Western world. So, um, I just feel like the experience of even preparing for this lunch um, has left me uh, more puzzled and raw and confused um, personally. Um, I suspect it might be for some of you too. Um, so I'd love to just turn it over to you all for questions. I think we'll give them the roving microphone and I'll give you the wired one. Questions? Hello, Martin. Good to Hi, see Agnes. you. Good to see Good you. Good to see you. Um, my question is, when you come to terms with who God wants you to be, and if you choose to make that phone call for a, I'll just say it, better position, how would you come to terms with what is still out there that's never ending, the social justice, um, all these societal issues that are not solved. So your new you and what's still there, how would you resolve that and within yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I mean, anybody that knows me knows I'm still in all of those places and spaces. It's just not a, a vocation. But, I mean, I've just, I've come to believe that the Republicans don't have the answers. They just don't. They've got some of them. The Democrats don't have the answers. They've got some of them. The church... 
that encompasses all of our governments and, and, and businesses. And let me just add to that, the market doesn't have the answers. It's got some of it. But God, who's over all of that, if, if we can come together in a way that voices are heard, it's, it's like I, I was such... Um, one of my greatest issues was the seductive reduction of other people's problems. You're poor, you need a job, get a job, that fixes everything. Whatever the situation, just do this and it'll be all better. It's not that simple. It's so complex and it's so complex that I believe that can only come from God. And my raging against the powers that be to change things doesn't make them change. But when I can create or participate in a space with people that are talking about the reality of their lives, willing to enter into relationship with that reality, I think it's in that soil that God will create a different way that you didn't think of, and you didn't think of, and I didn't think of, but it came from God, and nobody can claim it was mine. And so it's, it's posture and pace. I don't want to come in like a bull in a china shop, so to speak, and make this happen. You do this and do it now. And I don't want to rush it. I want to enter in and invite people and have the conversation and trust that over time the God of the universe will do something because we were faithful, not because we we're trying to be effective. And that's hard for people to hear that are in this city that don't know where dinner's coming from. 20% of the kids in Nashville live in poverty. It's, it's, there's urgency to it. But again, it's trusting God and slowing things down and really making sure everybody is at the table so that I'm not, Missy and I aren't trying to figure out what your, the fix is to your problem, Agnes, or what you and Missy are trying to figure out is the salt solution for my problem. If, if, if I'm not part of it or you're not part of it, it's projected on you. So diverse, dynamic, epistemic community is the crazy term for it. I, I was actually going to forego asking anything, but in that the microphone wound up being right next to me. <laughs> uh, I thought it fitting. Are you able to put into words in a concise and condensed manner is there a difference in meeting God on, in the sunshine of upward mobility as compared to meeting God in the shade of downward mobility? And that'll preach. For me, uh, for me, the only place I could see God was in the valley. That's where I needed to be met because light on light, I, 
I thought the, I thought the light that was coming from me was God. <laughs> and when I got somewhere where there was no light, I wasn't God anymore. Hello. Hello. Uh, my question is, if you uh, feel like you're in a role or a place in your life where, that you love and are activated by and it feels awesome and you're being successful, um, does that mean that that's what you should do or does that mean that that's the thing that you need to let go of? That's, that's a great question. Do you know who asked me that same question? This is, this, is, this is no joke, and I'm trying not to drop names here, but Bill Lee asked me that question about four years ago when he was considering running for governor. It's like, this is what I was made for. I love my job and the company and what I built and the culture. But what if God wants me to do this over here? So I think it's an individual decision. I mean, I think Missy said it earlier. It's, it's if in that role you're successful and it's great because you're living on the surface of the depth of the life you're called to um, and you're living out of ego, and it's allowing you to do violence in some way or another, not that's really dramatic, but it's at the expense of other people, then I think those are questions that come, that are answered when we do the work of what's my motivation in this job? And I think so many times motivations are pure and there's amazing people in leadership positions that really want the best for others before they want the best for themselves. Does that answer your question? Wait, hi. Hi. What you just said actually was about to be what my question was, how do you lead without ego? Because I find myself as a I feel that I am a natural leader and the different things that I choose to take on and sometimes I try to say yes to too much. Um, how do I check myself but at the same time give people guidance? And when those solutions work that I do suggest, it does give you a boost, right? The ego goes up, but how do you lead without ego? Yeah, that's another zinger. <laughs> I mean, I... I there's the most humble leaders, which are the ones that I really want to follow, are the ones that when it goes wrong, even if it wasn't their fault, they take the blame. And when it goes right, they give the credit to somebody else. And I mean, I, I, there's, those are the people that, that I want to follow. I think it looks like that. Who, who, what can be for others? 
Yeah. Hi, Martin. Hi, Tammy. Hello. Um, what do your spiritual disciplines and practices look like now versus before? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, uh, centering prayer has been a powerful thing. It's, it's, there's, there's prayer where we share gratitude and um, make a request known to God, and, and, and that you know, is in the realm of cataphatic, right? We want some sort of thing to happen or affirmation to happen. And then there's apophatic prayer, which is just be. Like, just be still and know that I'm God. Stop talking, which a lot of you might be thinking already about me. Um, just stop. And can you, for 20 minutes, sit in the presence of God and allow God to be God of that 20 minutes? And don't let anything enter your mind. And if it does, let it go. Let it go, let it go, because you thought, oh, that's, oh, my shoulder's itchy, I gotta scratch, scratch it and move on. Like, let God be God of that 20 minutes. And I feel an awareness of God's presence in my life when I do that. It's easier to let things go when, when I do that. Lectio Divina, which is pouring over specific scripture. Um, so those are, those are my two main practices. Thank you. A lot more stillness. A lot more stillness. And I have to be careful because I'm an introvert and I want solitude, but I need to push myself into community. That stillness is important, but I can't let it bleed into me retreating from my life, which is a danger for me. Hi, Martin. Hi, Adriana. Um, so you mentioned a lot about the wilderness that you were in and about to graduate, kind of figuring out my own wildernessness right now. Um, so what role should or does or did the church play, like the physical body of the church, your people play for you in your wilderness? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I think it's that community and, and, and that support and that level of understanding and that intimacy. And um, I think for it just to be okay, for that to be my reality, and, and, and I felt... I felt really safe at Pastor Mitchell's church. I feel really safe at Pastor Turner's church. I felt really safe at Pastor Green's church. And I would go and I could sit and I could be, and I could be met by God with other people who were being met by God. I'm not saying that wasn't a reality in other churches, but for me, the intimacy in the mess of the reality of life that was acknowledged and real that I could be who I was in that and who I am in that place and I could let God be God in that place 
and sometimes um, when I get in places where there's a whole lot of structure and control, I feel like that feeds the thing. I get angry at that. I get so angry at structure and control in church, not because the church is doing it, but because I hate those things in myself. And so I needed to find a place where I could really just be and be real and know that God's meeting me there. And, and finding that place, uh, I think, is part of the wilderness journey. That's a great question. Thank you. Mine's just super quick, and you may have already addressed this, but how long have you been a janitor now? And then when you started till now, how has your answer changed when somebody asks you, what do you do? Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, so August, I believe I started, Matt. And you can check my story at all. Matt's right there. Stand up, Matt. Matt's, so Matt's my boss. Um, was it August? Is that August? Yeah. So, I mean, to, uh, since August and, I mean, I say I'm a janitor. <laughs> and, and I love it because I'm out the other side of my uh, motivations and I'm free of it. I'm free of what that means. And, and what that means to somebody else is often the start of a great conversation. And um, I do really enjoy what I do. I mean, my wife would say, you come home bubbly <laughs> after work. And, and whatever that is, is, is I've come to, I don't have the judgments on myself that I obviously did when I started. And, and I'm just trusting God and I have something to do and I can pay some bills. And, and, and that was another reality that I came to, uh, that, that I have to know that this is a gift. It's a form of manna and I'm grateful for it. Are you able to stay not on the, are you able to keep the pendulum from going the other way, which is kind of smug, could, could become smug that you have figured this out and woe to you on the treadmill who hasn't? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's really hard. That's, that's a continued because I don't like the way things are. I'll be honest, I don't like the way things are because I know too many people who are really, really, really struggling. Not struggling the way I think it's struggling for me, although it was, but struggling so much more. And I want that to change, and I want people to see it, but I don't want them to see it passive aggressively coming in sideways through my story. I want, I, I want for their story to be their story and my story to be my story and for God to meet us where we're at. And for me not to have an agenda is really hard. But when people come with me into my life that I've been gifted with, they know something's different and they know God is doing something. So rarely do I want a conversation with somebody I want them to come with me and hang out, regardless of where I am. 
Um, so I have a question. Um, is is NIFW what it's doing? Is it helping? And I guess you're not totally anti it, or you wouldn't be sitting up here. But what would you say about what NIFW is doing? Yeah, I, th I, I think it's great. I think it's asking hard questions. It's you don't get to stay here, you gotta go here, in your heart, in your soul. What is God saying to you? Even when you don't like the answer, are you willing to do something with it? And, and I think that challenging, inviting nature of NIFW is, has been beautiful. At the same time, and Missy, uh, Missy just great. I mean, I love Missy. Um, her her posture and her pace are are awesome. What I need to do as a friend of NIFW um, is to not allow myself to get in a position for NF NIFW to be able to check the diversity box because they're friends with me. Is NIFW ready to, and willing to invest in the long haul about understanding Nashville and the broader community and, and who's in it and the leaders in every community? Um, and and I, think, I think they've done that well and are doing that better and are planning to do it even better and I'm really encouraged by that. They want to go and learn the same way that they want you to come and learn here. And, and I think that's, that's the whole piece of it. Um, what organizations, what churches, what groups are willing to go and not just once but over time to learn from somebody different than them. And, and I think that's a really, that's an invitation to God to step in. It's not an invitation to be effective, if that makes sense. That's a great question. Can we give Martin a round of applause? And let, let me just give a, give a promotion. Um, there's a few organizations that I have learned so much from. There's people I've learned so much from. Um, the folks at Uprise are here, Carol Peterson and Jack Foster, and what they're doing, which is like Jobs for Life on steroids and how they're stepping into that place. Awesome stuff going on there. Will Acuff is, oh my gosh. Um, a leader who's done what I've talked. He's a guy who just lives authentically and with his hands open all the time. And spend some time with Will, um, amazing guy. And then Agnes Scott and Pastor Ronnie Mitchell, uh, Pastor James Turner and the I president of IMF. Uh, IMF meets every Wednesday at noon. If you wanna have different conversations, about the reality of Nashville, go to an IMF meeting, have that conversation. Pastor David Tucker is here, who's with American Baptist College. He's pastor of Beach Creek Missionary Baptist Church um, on the Human Rights Commission for the city of Nashville. Just a powerful leader. Have a conversation 
with those folks. If you want to know what God is doing in your life, if you don't have a context for the African-American community, if you don't have a context for a marginalized community, and if you do, maybe a conversation with them, you can bring your marginalized conversation to them. And it's all in that place that, that God shows up. Tim Knapp in the back is pastor at Church of Another Chance, which is a church that operates in the Davidson County Jail, the only one in the country. Um, it's a place where he doesn't go in to do church to the guys. He gives the guys the dignity of doing church for people who come in. They lead the service. They do the prayers. And, and giving dignity in that place is a, is a powerful thing. So talk to, to Tim about that. Who else have I missed here? Brandy Kellett. Um, if you don't follow her, uh, and her blog, who talks about all of the tension of the space that we've talked about. I don't know anybody who does it and communicates it better than, than Brandy Kellett and who lives it out in her life. So um, what's, what's the website again? Expand R Us. Yes, uh, incredible. Follow her, talk to her. Uh, thank you so much for coming and being here. And sorry for those that I for, forgot. Two quick announcements, and then I'll let you get back to your roles. Um, if you are, have come to lots of these, you know we've had these here for the last two years. But due to com some construction going on and things like that, the next few, we're changing locations over to Sidco Drive um, in an event space that's in the formerly C3 consulting firm, which now is called Ankura. So we'll be there for the next couple of luncheons. So if you sign up for one, don't just put your car on autopilot to Adele's. Please fill out your surveys. Um, and just thank you. Thank you for coming, for leaning in. And thank you, Martin. Thank you. Yeah.